Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Davey, and we are your hosts. And today we have a great conversation with Dr. William Cook, who, by the way, he is a primary care physician in Austin, Indiana, which is a small rural town here in Indiana, the author of the book Canary in the Coal Mine. And uh, I enjoyed this conversation, Aubrey, because he kind of merged two of my worlds together. You know, Christy is a medical provider as well. And so Mm -hmm. we started kind of talking about some of those topics. And I, I felt a little bit, I'll be honest with you, I felt a little bit empowered in the conversation because I've learned so much from her. I'm, I'm being slightly facetious. I did notice. No, no, no. You flex. You flex <laughs> I flexed a little, it a little bit. In this bit. I did. I, know, I, was like, I saw it. I heard it. I was it. like, well, you know, <laughs> as I'm learning from Christy over here, right? And then also, of course, the pastoral side of things. But I do love when those worlds collide because that is kind of the yeah, Blackburn family, cool. it feels like, you know, helping people from a holistic standpoint. So I enjoyed this conversation so much. You're going to enjoy it a lot. And if you, if you do, would you do us a favor and go and rate and review the podcast on Apple podcast? Tell us your story. Tell us what, how it's impacted you. Um, and, and it really encourages us. It also helps more people to get exposure to this podcast so they can hear all yeah, of the great right. stories that we're sharing on this podcast. We'd also love to invite you to stick around and listen to Davey and I kind of unpack some of the themes in Dr. William Cook's conversation with you. Davey can flex a little bit more for us. We'll see if I have any muscle, muscles to show now, now up, but we'll be talking after the interview. <laughs> <laughs> you can all rate and review him based yeah, on how much information he knew. But stick around after Davey's conversation. We'll be talking a little bit about it and some of the things that we learned from God while listening. So let's go ahead and take a listen to Davey's interview with Dr. William Cook. William, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. It's always nice to have a fellow Hoosier on the podcast. And uh, man, I would love for you to, to just tell our audience a little bit about yourself and, and where you're located and, and what you do. And, and then I'm so excited about diving into to your story. Sure, yeah. Uh, born and raised in Southern Indiana. Um, lived here really most of my life outside of going away for training, but I came back to serve this community because it's, it's where I've, I'm from, it's where I grew up, um, and I know the people here and wanted to give back. That's awesome. You are, um, in, w- in what capacity are you serving that community right now? What's your profession? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a physician. I, I do primary care, okay. um, but it's primary care plus really uh, anything that the community needs. And we've yeah. adapted and, and, and evolved that over about 15 years now. Yeah, because yeah, as you know, and, and I guess we can kind of dive into this a little bit, but as you've stepped back into this community and you've begun to serve the community, you have, um, you've opened up the hood on a lot of uh, things going on there. And um, you're seeing there's a tremendous need for a lot of different types of services and a lot of different types of help there. Um, And so that's cool that you guys are branching out from the conventional way of just offering primary care medicine 
to, okay, how can we really help people in the spaces and the places that they're at that they really need right now? Yeah. So, you know, we were trained as physicians um, with that Hippocratic oath, do right. no harm. Um, but that really felt passive to me. It's like, we're going to sit back in our office and wait for people to come to us and then not harm them. Mm. And so I started to realize that, you know, people are being harmed by the circumstances in their life, lifestyles, uh, toxic stress, traumas, right. you know, experiences that they go through. And in order to really do anything significant for a community, um, I wanted to to change that from do no harm to protect from harm, mm. to, to go out, seek out people just the way that Christ did for us. You know, he didn't wait for uh, us to come to him. He came to us. He left yeah, heaven, right. walked with us, sought us out, um, and then, you know, gave himself to us. And yeah, I've tried to emulate that in my practice and not wait for people to go out, find people, find out what's going on in their life, what's harming them, what, yeah. what's causing that toxic stress and trauma in their life, right. and, and really connect with them in a way that helps them overcome those things in their lives. Oh, I love that. You know, what you guys see as medical providers a lot of times is the lag indicator of someone's, you know, all this history, this lifestyle, this, like you said, toxic stress, um, all this stuff compounding itself, and then they come to your office when it all, in a lot of ways, hits the fan and now it's, you know, seeping out, whether it's emotional duress, whether it's physical duress, because the body is keeping the score of those things. And you're exactly. seeing physical sickness take place, but the story starts way before this physical sickness has taken place. Yeah, oftentimes in, in childhood, you know, people, mm. they, don't, they don't choose where they're born, what circumstances they're born into. Yeah. Uh, but oftentimes they're born into a place or into a family or a community um, that's surrounded by toxic stress, concentrated poverty, uh, et cetera. Adverse childhood experiences we yeah. know harms people. And um, right, by the time they come to me, they've, they've lived sometimes decades uh, with that, you know, carrying yeah. that with them. And it's, it's caused a lot of damage. Mm, wow. Well, why don't you go back and kind of start, start the story with us? You know, this wasn't something necessarily you saw coming or that you, you know, Maybe, maybe you did, but you know, stepped into this community, set up practice here after med school, and you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. That wasn't necessarily from the outset a strategy that you had, and yet it began to evolve. Talk to me about why, what was the inspiration behind it, and uh, what were some things that you saw along the way? Sure, yeah. So my my family, um, we we came out of Appalachia. Uh, my mom's grandparents were actually squatters on the Ohio River. Uh, she oh, grew wow. up in, in extreme poverty. Um, and so I, I've seen, you know, what, what damage is done to an entire family uh, when they're living with that, that toxic stress, that constant, um, you know, wondering where your next meal is, where you're going to stay tonight, um, and, and people turning to substances like alcohol and, and drugs um, to cope sometimes with, with those uh, stresses in life. And I've seen, you know, that 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 shortens people's lives. Uh, my my great grandpa he died in his in his fifties. My my grandpa died uh, at sixty one, and my aunt she died of an overdose at thirty nine. You know, we're, wow. we we should be living, you know, eighty years or so. Yeah. Um, and and those lives were shortened because of the toxic stress, the substance use, and, and those sort of things. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to do something um, to, to really be able to connect with people in a way that allowed them to feel safe, 
accessing the the care that they needed, um, that they could be vulnerable, that it was okay to not be okay. Yeah. And so when I opened my practice in Scott County, uh, that's that's what I, I came there to do is just to take care of the people that no one else, for whatever reason, had seemed willing to take care of before. But I, I honestly was really overwhelmed by by the level of of, of despair yeah. um, that I found. Um, there were there were people who were experiencing late stage complications of diabetes at a young age. Uh, there were women dying of cervical cancer, uh, a completely preventable cancer. Um, there was a guy with a tumor on the side of his tongue so large he couldn't even close his mouth. And it's just, oh. I couldn't believe this was happening in, in the wealthiest nation on earth with, yeah. with all the resources that we had. And it dawned on me that we do a good job of taking care of sick people. When somebody gets sick, mm. we know how to take care of them. Yeah. But somewhere along the way, it seems like we forgot to, to invest in people on a level that allowed them to be healthy, um, to to prosper in life. Wow. Yeah. So you know, um, my wife's a physician's assistant. Well, I guess they're changing it now. Physician associate, physician assistant, right? But she's a PA, and um, that's one of her biggest. You know, the, uh, one of her biggest access to grind is this idea of like you know, in Western medicine, we see people who are sick, but we're not doing a good job of teaching people how to be healthy. And you started right. seeing this stuff, people coming in sick and you're noticing, wait, these are all very preventable things. How do these, how do people not have access to these resources or to the education that is needed in order to prevent these things? What were some of the things that you saw systemically that was contributing, you know, in these impoverished communities that was contributing to these preventable diseases and, and seeing them so frequently? Right. So what we know that there, there are, are certain um, vital community conditions that foster health and wellness, prosperity, mm -hmm. um, and there are certain communities that lack those. And, and they are ba basically, by definition, low opportunity communities. And um, what we find is that these are, these are concentrated pockets in rural areas and in urban areas where if somebody's born within that, that, that concentrated pocket of, of toxic stress and lack of um, community factors that foster health and wellness, uh, their, their, their opportunity to be healthy is diminished just by where they're born. For example, a child born in Fairfax County, Virginia, can expect to live 14 years longer than mm. a child born in Scott County, Indiana, where I practice. 14 year difference just wow. based on where they're born. So the community factors that, that um, really foster health and wellness are things like uh, humane housing, lifelong learning. Um, mm. So we know that there are certain uh, curriculum that can um, reverse the, the damage that adverse childhood experiences cause, uh, can build resiliency in, in a child as they're, they're going through their education, can build life skills so they know how to deal with overwhelming emotion, uh, distress tolerance, uh, those sorts of things. So lifelong learning, uh, figuring out ways to, to help people learn how to, to be healthier, uh, reliable transportation. Uh, the guy with the tumor on the side of his tongue, the reason he hadn't gone to a doctor was because he didn't have a car but my clinic was close enough for him to walk to. And so he walked there and we were able to get him the care that he needed. So reliable transportation, a, a sense of belonging, 
uh, and civic muscle right. that, that you matter. If right. you grow up not thinking you matter, why try? Right. And if the circumstances in your life are so overwhelming to you that you don't think that you could ever accomplish the, the goals and the dreams that you have growing up, uh, you, you develop this sense of learned um, helplessness. So yeah. there's these, these community conditions that um, do not exist in certain communities, and they're easy. They're easy fixes, but we've just not, as a, you know, as a nation, um, ever invested in that. Right, right. Well, here, here you are as this doctor stepping back into this community that you grew up in and you have this ambition, this goal. You're so, you're so, um, bright eyed and excited about this and you, and, and, and it's an unbelievably worthwhile, noble goal to say, Hey, how do we, how do we help people? Not just, not just treat their you know sickness right now. How do we help them be healthy? How do we be the hands and feet of Jesus and support them in places where they don't have support? And how do we bridge that with the gospel and, you know, all this really holistic approach. And, and you, you realize that there are not a lot of people trying to do that. And then quickly you realize why there are not a lot of people who are trying to do that. Because as soon as you start doing that, you are inundated with some very difficult, um, uh, you know, very, very difficult cases, you know, to say the least, but then also these entire like epidemics that are going on around your community. Um, talk to me about that. As you began to face those realities, what ended up happening in your spirit, your motivation? I mean, how do you, how did you start grappling with, okay, maybe I bit off more than what I could chew here? No, that's exactly, that's exactly right. I, I went very idealistically to, you know, change um, the way that that community, um, you know, was that uh, I would go in and make a difference is, is really what I, right. what I thought. And just by opening this practice and pouring my, you know, energy into it, uh, because I felt called by God to do this. And so I was being faithful to God. It was God's responsibility to be faithful in yeah, return right. to, to bless my practice and right. the community and, and, and all of that. But um, there was no one else to help. I, you know, I went to churches, I went to hospitals, I went to behavioral health organizations, health departments, uh, you know, pleading, you know, for these people that were suffering and dying at young ages, you know, that we need help, we need to do something different here. And there was no help, no help um, came. And yeah, it, it did get to become overwhelming. Um, you know, there, there's people, there's people that nobody else really cares about that nobody else wants to do anything to, to help. And no wonder they, they give up. You know, they, they've grown up in a situation where they've never felt cared for. They've maybe asked for help and been cast out rather callously mm. um, because of their lifestyle, because they're homeless, because they engage in sex work, or they're addicted to pain pills, or, or whatever it looks like. Um, they don't, they never graduated high school, you know, what, whatever it is. Um, they they have just never felt like they belong. And so I ended up starting to take care of people that nobody else wanted to take care of. And it was really, really hard, mm. really difficult. But we started making some progress. Uh, we really did. Um, in fact, there was a, 
an organization that I, I worked really closely with in Austin, where we got a grant to do some some things that could help build infrastructure um, to allow people to, to have their quality of life brought up a little bit so they have a safe place to stay at night sometimes. Yeah. Running water. Uh, there, there were places in Austin that didn't even have running water or sewage, wow. and we were able to accomplish some of those goals. And then in 2008, the Great Recession hit, and the bottom dropped out, and it went from a, a really terrible situation to one that I didn't think that I'd be able to continue operating in. This agency that I worked with, the executive director, she disappeared. All the money in the account was gone. Uh, people that I thought were getting back on track you know, lost their homes, lost their jobs. Wow. And I really got to the point where I just asked God, you know, why did you bring me here? Yeah. And why am I here? You know, what purpose am I uh, here for? Yeah. Um, all this work that we've done is for nothing, is what is the way I felt. Right. And so I kind of decided, you know, I was done. You know, I, I'm done. I'm going to leave. And um, I went to my church, and we, um, we decided we'd go to a... a, a, a a mission trip to the Amazon rainforest. So I, I got as far away from Indiana as I could and ended up in the middle of the Amazon rainforest on the back of a, of a boat going down the river, just taking care of some villages for a few weeks. Nothing is Wasted family. It's Aubrey Sampson, and I am so thrilled to tell you about my brand new book release, Known, How Believing Who God Says You Are Changes Everything. It just came out on Tuesday, September 7th, and I would love to invite you to be a part of this journey with me, to read the book, engage with the book, and share about the book with your friends. So much is tied up in our longing to know who we are, to know our worth, to know whether we're loved, to know what we're meant to do with our lives. But there's a powerful truth that settles every question that we ask about ourselves. Here's the truth. God has named us, and the names that He has spoken over us settle every question and every pain we have experienced in our journey. So Nothing Is Wasted, I would love to invite you to go to nothingiswasted.com known to find out more and to buy the book today. Well, I was going to say that there, I, I, I sense that there was this like really pivotal turning point that happened right here on this boat, you know, as you're helping, which first of all, by the way, I think is very notable. Just, I, I, I absolutely love your heart. Cause you're over here going, I, my, my, my aim and my ambition was to help these really hurting people in my community. And so in order to escape that, I decided to go to the Amazon and help other hurting underprivileged people, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like most people are like, I'm going to go, you know, to Bora Bora and just go sit on the beach for a little while and just kind of get a respite from all of this. But something happened there, right? Yeah. Part of it was just exploring whether I wanted to go overseas, Gotcha. you know, and, yeah. and maybe do mission work um, there. So part of it was exploring, but part of it was just to get away from all the trauma that I was you know, experienced yeah. vicariously yeah. Uh, in that community. Yeah. So you were wearing other people's trauma just by helping yeah. other people as mm -hmm. well. I mean, what kind of a, what kind of a, a drag did that have on you, you know, emotionally? It wore me down every day. Um, I remember, you know, there was a, a young minister I was working with and just trying to connect people to the love of God. 
and community again, you know, yeah. how important it is to, to feel like other people care about you and are willing to invest in you. And we would go door to door and just, uh, you know, go into people's homes, trailers, um, and just see how people were living, you know, one room, you know, basically with three, four or five kids, um, you know, smoke filled garbage, you know, right. on the floor, just people that just seemed like they had given up. And always left from there, just feeling so down. And this young, you know, minister, you know, he, he, he very idealistic as well. You know, he, you know, he was trying to, you know, encourage me. At least, you know, at least we could save their eternal soul. And mm. t- to me, is like, but, but they're living through hell here right, on earth. Right. You know, why can't we do something for people now? Right. Um, and it just wore me down and wore me down. I remember going to this abandoned house and just, you know, peeking through the windows and you're seeing trash, you know, on the floor where people had obviously come in to maybe seek seek shelter. And over in the corner of the room, there was this pile of blankets and uh, some diapers. And, it, you know, it hit me, you know, there was a young mother with a, a newborn baby who wow. was seeking shelter in this abandoned house. And I, I was just overwhelmed by just grief and just the horror yeah. of that. And I walked around the neighborhood a little bit looking for her, not knowing what I would do if I found her. Uh, I couldn't find her. Uh, people don't, don't want to be found oftentimes living in that situation. They're ashamed uh, of their own um, situation. But I, I brought that home, you know, night after night after night. And it just wore me down and wore me down until, like I said, the Great Recession. And it's like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so you escape to the Amazon. Yep. And you're on this boat. What happens from there? <laughs> well, um, we would go to these villages, and um, there was this, you know, th- th- these are isolated villages, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. You can't get to them unless you go by boat. Yet, yeah. Uh, people seemed happy, and there was a sense of community. I remember mm. um, a dinner you know, people would come out and they would all share food. And after dinner, um, like most of the community would, would take part in this game of soccer. And I would, mm. you know, go out there too. And I, I didn't know how to speak their language, but, you know, I'd run alongside them and we'd all play soccer together. And it just felt like this, this place where everybody uh, was connected and, and they had that sense of belonging and that sense of community that I felt like we were missing, you know, back home. And in the middle, right in the middle of America. Yeah. And um, the people that led the, the, the mission trip, they took me to this community center uh, and they showed me, you know, where they had job training and after school programs and mm. child, you know, soccer games and, and all of these things that I, I thought we could have done back home. And it really hurt yeah. <laughs> that here they could do this in the middle of the Amazon, but I couldn't, you know, replicate that in the middle of America. Yeah. Um, and I asked them, you know, how did you do this? And they said, well, 30 years ago, um, we, we found this land and we thought it'd be a great place to do this community center. And, um, you know, the community center's been there for, for five years. And it took them 25 years to wow. get to the point where they had that community center. And uh, wow. that, that really hit a, a place in my heart. And uh, I remember being on the back of the boat a few nights later and just meditating under, you know, a pitch black sky with all these stars and, you know, see these shooting stars come by. And 
you know, I tried to pray and I just, I didn't have anything left in me. Yeah. You know, there's no words left. I didn't have anything. And just, so I just sat back and, and just meditated and, and tried to listen, you know, to God. And, um, you know, he, you know, he spoke to me and, you know, basically, you know, I, I got this sense that I had become more important than the work. Mm. You know, I, I was the story instead of Austin being the story. And um, I needed to give that up. I needed to give up that, that idea that I was some hero, you know, um, and just be a part of the story uh, to give up my identity as this guy that was going to come in and save right. the day because <laughs> right. that's my mission. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, just be a part of the story, be a part of people's lives, connect with people on that human level, just like, just like Jesus did. Yeah. You know, he didn't stay in heaven. He could have, you know, he was God, but he left heaven and walked among us and, and suffered with us and, and really knew what it was to be human. And that's what I came back with is this, this, um, this new sense that, um, you know, my career was going to be decades long. Um, you know, God's operating in eternity and I don't know his plan. I don't know, you know, where it starts, where it ends. My responsibility is to just be faithful to him today yeah. with each interaction um, that I, I have the opportunity to have uh, with people. And so I just stopped and started listening to people, hearing their stories and just connecting with one person um, at a time. And wow. it, it changed my my view and I became part of the story instead of trying to, to force my story onto the situation. Yeah. And I was able to, to continue working there because of that. Wow, wow. Uh, talk to me about what, what what you saw once that mindset shifted for you, you know, I mean, I think sometimes we will have some of these big, you know, pivotal aha epiphanies and we'll kind of go back into the work that we're doing, whatever that, you know, we have a, a, a shifted mindset and we expect sometimes for things to change right away and maybe they don't. Um, but what happened, you know, what, what did you see as kind of the, the cascading effect of this mindset shift. Yeah, I I knew that if there was going to be change, that it would have to originate from within the community, mm. that I wasn't going to be able to push it onto the community. No outside force was going to be able to implement change onto the community. Um, the change would really have to be developed from within the community. And so... I needed to be a part of the community yeah. um, if, if that was going to happen. So, you know, I, I focused more on just establishing a safe place for people to come, um, to be known as uh, a place where people could be vulnerable, where it was okay to not be okay, yeah. that you could share your pain in, in a very real way and you would be heard. So oftentimes for the first time in people's lives, and that changed people. And by feeling like it was okay to not be okay, that it was okay to be vulnerable, to be broken, right. even um, people allowed other people to have that same sense. And out of that, um, we started developing this this recovery uh, community, mm. uh, you know, where people knew that if you needed help, it was safe to go there. Um, they may not have felt safe in their own homes, but they knew at least they could feel safe by going, uh, there was a, a couple churches, for example, that we started working with, uh, yeah. Hope to Others and Church of the New Covenant. Mm. And um, um, 
we started developing the this the sense that um, we are the community and we are going to move in a in a in a different direction, yeah. and um, we are a safe place to go. Wow. Of course, the HIV um, outbreak happened uh, around that time and um, changed things quite a bit. Yeah. Wow. You know, I love. I want to go back to kind of this this moment that you had there. Um, you know, I guess it was a series of moments there in the Amazon where you just, you recognized, wait, I'm not the hero of this story. You know, I'm, I'm being invited to be a part of the story and just kind of become incarnate the way that Jesus was. And I'd love for you to speak to, you know, that more on a macro level for all of us. Right. I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, that's the place that, that all of us have to get, especially if we have this very, um, you know, uh, noble, ambitious, idealistic personality. I re- I relate with you on that. It's like I see what could be. I have a a visionary spirit, and oftentimes I can get caught up in that same kind of uh, cycle where I think, well, if I don't do this, then what's going to get done? Or if I, or I've got to you know make this happen, or I've got to push on this, or I've got to, and um, it can be very humbling to realize I'm not the I'm not the one that does this. I'm not the one that makes this happen. And there's this weird tension that we live in, right? Where God invites, God God puts a desire for a vision in someone's heart, but makes the vision way too big for them to be the one to carry it out. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the beautiful things that that God does is he does invade our hearts and he, he, uh, he plants eternity in our hearts. And it's so big and, and so much more than we're able to, to do ourselves, we have to turn to Him. Yeah. We have to surrender um, in order to have peace. And um, I think it's that surrender piece that's that's so vital. Because anytime we focus on me, mine, I, mm-hmm. we're going to cause conflict with His purpose, with the community, with anything that's not me, my, I. Yeah. And so by surrendering my identity uh, to Him, I'm actually able to live out who I'm meant to be mm. in, 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 a, in a more real way um, and to be more authentic um, when I'm meeting with other people, building relationships. It's not about me anymore. Mm. It's about us. It's about something bigger um, yeah. than, than, than me, my, and, and I. Right. Which flies in the face of our Western American culture, right? Yeah. You know, we're sure. very in- individualistic and that's been a part of the ethos in the, you know, the bedrock of what made America, America was, you know, we, we kind of are breaking away right back with the American revolution. And we're, we are known as the, you know, self-starter self-made individuals. And, you know, we herald that as the great thing about America. And yet we see that that falls short and you experience it over in the Amazon that there is this, there's this key to a, a more fulfilled way of life. And you're, you're finding that key to being, uh, being a part of a community, being a part of a story, you know? Right. And there, there's something to be said to rugged individualism, you know, being able to take responsibility mm-hmm. for your own life. Right. Um, and, and that's great. You know, we, we, we need to be responsible for our own health, our own life, mm-hmm. but to project that onto other people is actually harming them mm-hmm. instead of helping them. 
um, our responsibility is to be the best version of ourselves that we can be and then offer ourselves up as a sacrifice, just like Christ did, yeah. uh, in a vulnerable way to help other people meet the needs that aren't being met in their own lives in order for them to be able to also start taking responsibility. Um, Maslow has the hierarchy mm. of needs, right. and um, th those hierarchy of needs um, go in a sequence. And if somebody doesn't look like they are trying to do better in their lives, what he said was that that often means that they're so focused on those lower needs being met mm. that they're unable to seek those higher needs. And yeah. so when we see somebody struggling, when we see somebody that doesn't appear to be trying, instead of saying, hey, you just need to try harder or um, be more responsible, um, maybe we could listen to their story, mm. hear you know, what their experience has been, what's happened to them, what they're carrying with them, and oftentimes, there's unmet needs in their lives. Yeah. Maybe they're homeless. Maybe they're, they're so focused on getting food and water and safety for their children um, that they can't you know, focus on those, those higher things. And once right. those lower needs are met, then they're able um, to seek higher, higher things. Yeah. No, that's great. I love that you know, Jesus addresses both, right? When he, when he walked the earth and he, he led his public ministry— he was continually addressing physical needs and at the same time, the spiritual needs, you know, I, I got a picture of like the, the tension between you and your, your pastor friend there where he's like, well, at least that we can address the condition of their soul for eternity. And you're like, but why can't we do something here now? And certainly you can get caught up in both polar extremes and miss the gospel because the gospel seems like it's the tension of both, right? Seems like it's right. this Jesus walked going, I'm going to feed the 5,000 and I'm going to help people understand on the bread of life. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, in my study of Jesus's life, I, I, I've not yet found an instance when somebody came to him for help and he had some unreasonable demand that he mm -hmm. placed on them first. Mm -hmm. um, if they come vulnerably needing help, they're sick, they're hungry. Uh, what have you, he healed them first. Yeah. And then he had an ask afterwards. Yeah. You know, I've healed you, go tell other people, you know, yeah. follow me. Uh, but he didn't do that first. He didn't say, go tell other people, follow me. He said, I heal you first. And, yeah. you know, as a physician, you know, uh, my job is, is in the healing business. Um, and I, I feel the same way. You know, my, my, my first job is to meet physical needs um, and then help people achieve more in their life so they can start giving giving yeah. back. Uh, script, you know, scripture says that you know, if you see a brother in need, they're hungry, they, they need to be clothed, and you say, you know, uh, God bless you, go in peace, what have you done mm -hmm. you know, for them? You really haven't done anything for them. And if we're not in the business of, of helping people, of meeting their needs so that they can live that more fulfilled life, uh, Christ came that people may live more abundantly. Uh, what does living more abundantly um, mean if your basic human needs for, for food, shelter, and safety aren't being met? And why are people in America's basic human needs of food, shelter, and safety going unmet? Yeah. Yeah. There should be no reason for that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, now that you've kind of... Uh, how long ago was this that you had this encounter 
you know, this, this epiphany in, um, in the Amazon, how, how, how long ago was that? that was yeah. Around so the great recession. Yeah. Great okay. recession happened in 2008. And, um, that's when I, I, I went through about a year of pretty deep depression, uh, where I had a lot of trouble even working. Um, you know, I would come home and sometimes just be so exhausted from trying to get through the day that I would just collapse on the floor. Yeah. I would just lay there um, for an hour, two hours, um, maybe eventually climb into bed and just sleep or not sleep until the morning happened and just do that again. Um, people who knew me, they, they said I was like a, a ghost of a person. Um, mm. I was there, but I wasn't. Uh, I did my job, you know, I was there for my kids, um, but that was really, that was really it. And, um, you know, I guess going into that a little bit more, I remember, you know, one night in particular, I, I came home and I just, I couldn't see the end of it. You know, it was just this vicious cycle of every day weighing more and more on me and just this, the pain that I was surrounded in. Um, the loss of my identity as, um, you know, God's, God, I felt had called me to be a physician, and yet I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was accomplishing um, the things that I felt yeah. like I was called to do. Um, and I just felt surrounded by this endless wave of pain, pain in me, pain around me. And I remember just collapsing and just, um, just crying. Um, with nothing wow. left. It's just, I had nothing left. I was done, but I didn't know what to do yeah, <laughs> either. Right. Um, I just was done. And I remember just feeling so surrounded by pain. It was like being submerged in water and it was, it would just go on forever in every direction. And all of a sudden I felt like God was right there beside me, almost like, you know, when you when you hear the buzz of a refrigerator or a fan in the room that's yeah. been there the whole time, uh, but you just started becoming aware of it, mm. that's what that presence was to me. And it was so solid and so real. It was something that I could press up against in the middle of floating in this infinite void of, of pain. And I could press up against him and feel something real for the first time in a while. And it allowed me to feel like I could I could lean on that and draw strength a little bit from that. Yeah. And it was it was such a um, it was such a different experience that I had been living day after day um, that I laughed. <laughs> I laughed out loud, and um, I knew I was going to be okay at that point too. And it's it's the it's the moment that I can you know look at in my life and say. I, I have experienced joy once. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't when I was happy. It wasn't when I was content. It was when I was the most miserable I've ever been in my life. But I experienced joy in that moment because of the presence of God. Wow. Wow. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, as I've walked through some intense uh, seasons of pain, for me, what that's done is that has, you know, further em empowered me and broadened my ability to um, empathize with and see why other people maybe make the, even make the decisions that they make, you know, um, you can talk to me about that for, for you. And, you know, it almost seems like maybe this was like a, in some ways a, a necessary 
uh, portal for you to walk through so that you can help other people even, uh, even more, the people who are surrounding you who are experiencing this day in and day out. Yeah, to, to, to me, um, you know, feeling broken and completely unable to um, function in, the, in my life the way that I wanted to be able to function, it really helped me understand the weight of mental health. Yeah. And, and when people are dealing with, with mental health issues like depression and anxiety and, and such, it impacts every part of their life, right. their physical life, um, their ability to, to go to a doctor to get help, um, their relationships, their job performance. And so, you know, that, that mental anguish and that suffering, it's so real and so overwhelming. It, it really um, informed me that people need help more than ever yeah. in that moment. And that idea, just get over it. <laughs> Sometimes people don't want to just get over it. Right. Um, to, to me, to get over it meant that I had to give up the dream that I had, that, that calling that I had to be this physician that I wanted to be, to live the story that I wanted to live. To get over it was to give up that story. I didn't want to get give up that story. Yeah. I would rather live with that pain every single day than to give it up because it was all I had left. All I had left of that story of the life that I wanted was the pain, and I was willing to hold on to that. I was. Wow. Um, so I know now firsthand what that's like, and just yeah. to tell somebody to get over it yeah. um, doesn't work. Yeah. We have to invest in people, hear them, allow them to feel heard and understood, and that it's okay to not be okay. Right. You know, sometimes the places where we're broken allow us to be stronger in those places. Yeah. Uh, you know, Paul talked about that. The areas that we're, we're the weakest sometimes is where God uses us the most right. to make the most change and to, to help people um, the most. And so it, it really informed me to allow my patients to feel comfortable not being okay when somebody's crying, right. I, you know. I don't want to say don't cry. Right. You know, I tell them it's okay to cry here. It's right. completely okay to cry here. Take yeah. your time. Yeah. Um, so that's what it, it, it did for me. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You're right. I mean, we, we constantly are asking God to get us out of the valley, right? We want to escape it, but God always wants to rescue us through it. He doesn't just rescue us out of it because walking through that uncomfortable, uncomfortable season, walking through that very dark season was a necessary portal for you to come out the other side as um, God's strength was strengthening you, as his strength was was being made perfect. And you were becoming a, a better version of William Cook than when, what you were before. And there's always that refining process that God, God does through that. And so to tell somebody, just get over it, that's not God's intention for them. God's intention is for them to get through it, to work through it. But just like in the physical realm, as you're diagnosing patients and you're giving them a treatment plan, God gives us a, a pathway, a plan to go through it rather than just getting out of it, right? For you to just, for you to just kind of uh, numb whatever physical ailment is going on, that's not helping that person either. And likewise, it's not, not, it's not helpful in the spiritual realm either or the emotional realm. No, I, I think acknowledging the pain, acknowledging the trauma that mm. it happened, it, you know, it did happen. A lot of times uh, the people that I work with, they've compartmentalized that part of, of who they are 
and it's never fully integrated into their, the healthy version right. of them. And so um, oftentimes what we're trying to do is allow, it, allow them to feel safe to let that wall down, to let that trauma, that experience be reintegrated yep. into who they are in a way that they feel empowered um, to overcome it and to yeah. make it a part of who they are so they can be stronger and better. Until then, uh, oftentimes people will, will experience um, you know, these random panic attacks that they yeah. don't know where it came from. It came from that compartmentalized place yeah. that they've never integrated into them. And sometimes letting that wall down, yeah, it makes things a little bit worse for a little while. Yeah. And, and you don't have to relive it or anything like that. It's just you know, understand that there was a purpose there, uh, may not make any sense. Yeah. Um, it may have, have harmed us, but again, we, we sometimes are stronger in the places where we've been broken and we can move forward through that and, and still become a, a healthy uh, person that's fully integrated all right. of our experiences. Right. That's so great. I mean, I just, I love the beauty of what you're explaining right now, because you're talking about this idea of not compartmentalizing our lives, integrating those things together, our past experiences, our trauma, our present, you know, circumstances, all of those things. And that's what makes us a healthy individual. And I love how in your story, as you're trying to make this help this community become healthy, you're recognizing the importance of integrating different facets of that community. You know, even the, the reality of, okay, you're a doctor and yet you have this this pastor friend, this minister friend who is also, you're partnering with them to kind of work on different right. fronts, but also in partnership. And then there's other, almost like the spokes of a wheel. There are all these different um, components to a community that have to be integrated if it's going to be a healthy community with the infrastructure that it needs um, in order to, to sustain vibrant life. And so, you know, here's this, it's like this community is an, is a organic living thing, just like our beings are as well. And it's just cool this kind of metaphor that's kind of blossoming out of your work and out of your life with that. Right. So, you know, we're not one piece of who we are. You right. know, we're, we're, we're all complicated. We're yeah. all complex. And sometimes we're paradoxes. Yeah. You know, we don't even know why right. we do this or that, you know. But to just focus on one aspect of a person as a physician, to me, you know, that's that's not doing my job. Because uh, a person is all of who they are. You yeah. know, they have spiritual needs, they have physical needs, they have emotional needs, and um, to wrap them around with all of the the stuff that they really need to be a healthy person seems to me like a fully integrated model of care yeah. uh, for people. And and one of the successful things we've done in Scott County is to to develop what's called it's called ROSC or Recovery Oriented System of Care, uh, but the basic principle is that you know each each community is complicated and unique and each individual is complicated and unique with a lot of different needs yeah. uh, and if we're just trying to focus on one need we're never going to you know we're not seeing the bigger picture we're not really helping somebody find their purpose and meaning in life yeah. um, and and ultimately that's what i feel like my job is uh, as a physician is to listen to their story um, here where they given up or stopped or they become the victim and, and help them rewrite their story and integrate it into a way where they've found purpose and meaning moving forward. Not looking back, that's already happened. Um, and, and maybe there was some really bad stuff that happened that we wish hadn't happened, but it right. did. It did. Right. it did. And we can shape our story going forward in a way that we are the hero, the 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 conquering person 
in our life um, that helps other people uh, with purpose and meaning. And I think it's that purpose and meaning piece that's often missed uh, in an exam room or in a schoolhouse or, you know, right. whatever setting uh, work. Um, we, we lose that purpose and meaning part of our life. And when we do, you know, depression, anxiety, uh, marital problems, uh, all, yeah. all of those things, substance use disorder, alcoholism, those sort of, sorts of things uh, start cropping up. And, yeah. and so my job is to really, I think, uh, help people reconnect with yeah. their purpose and meaning or, or discover um, their purpose and meaning. Yeah. And that's not by prescribing a, a blood pressure <laughs> medicine. Yeah, that's so great. Wow. That's so great. Well, uh, William, you've just recently released this book, Canary in the, in the Coal Mine. And um, talk to me about this a little bit. What is, what is your hope and your aim for this book? Tell me a little bit about what should the, the reader expect as they're reading this? Oh, sure. So the, the title, Canary in the Coal Mine, it, it's uh, alluding to um, coal miners bringing right. canaries into the coal with them to warn them of toxic conditions that may mm. exist so that they can do something different. Okay. And Scott County, uh, to me, it, it's the canary in the coal mine for the nation. It was the epicenter of the opioid uh, health disparity, mm-hmm. HIV uh, outbreaks, overdose deaths. And um, Scott County should be warning the rest of the nation that there are toxic conditions that exist in America. Mm. There's these pockets of concentrated poverty and toxic stress that's harming people. In fact, our life expectancy in the United States is starting to decline. People are living fewer years than they used to in America, and we've lost... We've lost status in the world as far as life expectancy goes, yeah. and the United States is is one of the one of the worst places to actually live from a from a life expectancy standpoint yeah. uh, in the developed world. And that shouldn't exist. You know, imagine if we were, you know, we had the weakest army or the weakest economy, or yeah. we 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 were last in the Olympics. You know, we would do a lot to change that. We're last in the developed world for life expectancy. And um, we need to do something about that. And my book goes into what that is. You know, what can we do to make the, uh, the communities that we live in healthier um, to allow people in America to live full uh, lives with purpose and meaning? Yeah, well, that's great. That's great. Um, I... I, I admire the work that you're doing because this is not easy work. I mean, anytime you're in, in any kind of uh, business of helping people, you know, you're fighting an uphill battle is what it feels like in a lot of ways. And it comes with these breakthroughs. You know, I, I liken it sometimes to golf, right? At least my golf game is every once in a while, I have this great shot that goes right down the middle of the fairway and it gets me excited to come back the next day. It's the thing that keeps me in the game, you know, and that's what it feels like when you're doing ministry of any sort or when you're, you know, in the work that you're doing and you're really helping to, um, you know, serve this community. Every once in a while, you're going to hear like a breakthrough story that just kind of keeps you going. But a lot of times it can be very, very discouraging. And so I admire what you're doing, but I also admire, as you've talked about this long game perspective, this mindset shift that has taken place where you say, you know, if I you know, this is going to, this is going to be something that's going to take a long time. We're, we're talking decades here and I'm, I'm a part of this and I'm just a part of whether it's sowing the seed or watering it or, you know, reaping some harvest. I want to play my part. And I appreciate that about what you've shared with us and what you've challenged us with. 
um, today. You know, we, we talk about a lot that we, we are not the point of the story, but we do play a part in walking in the tension of that. And so, man, Dr. William, thank you so much for what you've shared with us and spending some time with us. Where can we connect with you and follow more of what you're doing? And, you know, even folks who may be in the area uh, that you're in uh, coming over and, and, and coming alongside you as you're, as you're doing this work. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I love to, to meet with people, to, to do small group discussions and presentations. So I'm always happy to come to a church or a book group or community organization. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's W-I-L underscore Cook, C-O-O-K-E. Uh, Facebook, my, my, my book has its own Facebook uh, site, and I have one as well. People are welcome to connect with me there. Uh, but I'd love to hear from people. And again, um, I'm always looking for opportunities to share the story, yeah. uh, to help people think through these these issues and to, you know, to reach the conclusion that every single life matters and they're worth investing in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again for the work you're doing. Thanks for spending time with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, Davey, that was such an interesting conversation yeah. with Dr. Cook, and I I appreciate his um, I appreciate his kind of call to not just put band aids on things that we see that are going right. wrong, but actually get to the root and get to the heart and bring healing to a community. Right. Uh, proactive rather than reactive, I guess is yeah. how I would put it. I thought that was so 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 interesting. Yeah, you know, we kind of started talking about this concept in the conversation where there are some camps of ministry that focus only on the spiritual needs. And then there is a whole other side of the spectrum where there's camps of ministry that only focus on like the physical needs and more cause oriented mm. type ministry yeah. and, uh, or yeah. mission, mission oriented or something. And what we see Jesus do is find this beautiful tension and balance between the two you know, where he addresses mm, right. these physical needs first in order to really address the deep-rooted spiritual need that's going on there. I also appreciated, um, I mean, obviously just like Jesus, but the fact that Dr. Cook left his community, but then felt God calling him back yeah. to make a difference there. And I think there's a word for all of us in that, for for all of you listeners, and yeah. even for myself as well, that God does plant us where we are on purpose right. and has called us to be um, missional, to be intentional, to be the light of Christ exactly where we are. Yeah. And I think sometimes we've talked about this before on other episodes, but in this day and age when it's so easy to look around and compare yourself to all the other things people are doing and all of the other maybe maybe bigger platforms or yeah. different ministries or all the other ways people are doing amazing things for the Lord, I think we can forget that God has put us right on our street, yeah. right in our specific apartment or, or neighborhood or what have you on purpose right. because we are meant to represent Jesus there. We are meant to do holistic ministry there, love people there so and um, to make a difference right where we are. And sometimes we don't have to look further than like literally across the street right. to love our neighbor. Right, that's so good. I heard Judd Wilhite one time, he's a pastor out in Las Vegas, pastor um, Central Christian Church. And I heard him preach a message one time at a pastor's conference where he was saying, God has not called you to have a big ministry. He has called mm. you to have a faithful ministry. Right. 
And I was like, Oh wow. You know? And, and the, the, the reality is, is that our calling every single one of us is to be faithful stewards with what God has put right here in front of us right now and mm-hmm. let him worry about the growth, right? Let him worry about that. But I, I think to, in today's day and age, especially since platforms are so easy to build um, and they, yes. and they can end up being hollow platforms, right. And shallow yes. platforms and the yes. influencer culture that we're in and stuff, it, it, it mm-hmm. can be the thing that we try to pursue as the big or more followers, but it's like, okay, well, but where are we leading people? Like, how are we faithful with the people right around us right mm-hmm. now? And, yeah, um, such a good question. and I just think that that is a big thing we have to wrestle with. And the other thing, Aubrey, I'll, I'll toss this out there and we can kind of munch on this, but I know you guys wrestle with this tension. I wrestle with it. Anytime God has broken your heart for something, I, there's a phenomenon I think that happens kind of like, I call it like the Moses phenomenon where God c- breaks your heart for something that is way bigger than what you can accomplish by yourself. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Or that what maybe even you feel like you have a lifetime, like a time in your life mm-hmm. to accomplish, right? But he's broken mm-hmm. your heart for this vision and he gives mm-hmm. it to you, but then it requires more people. You know, I call it the Moses phenomenon because he visited Moses at the burning bush, said, I want you to free my people. And Moses is like, this is a daunting task. I don't think I'm, yeah. I'm a- a capable of doing it. But as he steps into obedience, then he realizes that, you know, in, in with the whole Jethro's advice thing, after he frees the, you know, the people out, it, that it requires way more people to accomplish right. this task. And so there's this right. tension that you always manage of like, okay, I've got to do this thing, kind of the Superman complex. Like I've got to... That God has called me to do, i got to go do, do right? this thing, right? That God's called me to do mm-hmm. it. And yet at the same mm-hmm. time, I can't do it. You know, <laughs> I can't do it by myself, <laughs> Right. right? Um, and you just kind of waffle. I feel like I vacillate all the time. I think one of the powerful things about that is uh, there's a pastor around here named Dave Ferguson, who's a big church planting mm-hmm. guy. And he, he is constantly calling people not to be heroes, but to be hero makers. Oh, yeah. And that ultimately, like the best legacy we can leave is the people we've poured into, is the people we've empowered. And of course, we have to be faithful to the call that God has put on our lives. Right. If our hearts are broken for something, that's the Holy Spirit saying like, all right, I'm calling you to do right. something about it. But part of that calling is part of our faith. The fact that our faith is communal. And so we are called to partner with other people, uh, come alongside other people who are passionate about the same thing, or to empower people who may not even realize that they're yeah. passionate yet about that thing. And then together live on mission for Jesus. Because Ultimately, if the problem is big enough that we can't solve it, then we know it's from God because that means right. God's going to be right. the one who does the work, right? Yeah, and and I love that idea. Like, how do we know um, how to walk in this? You know, there. And I'll say, okay, let me say it this way: There's so many of you guys listening right now, and we're constantly saying, okay, let's let's partner with God to take back your story. You can take your story and go from pain to purpose. And some of you have a kind of an idea or a vision of how you can take your story and move from pain to purpose. And it, it feels really big and daunting. Um, and you go, well, what are the steps? Like, how do I, how do I begin mm. to do this? And maybe you're even looking at nothing is wasted and going there that it's, there's just so much involved in the ministry that I could never figure out a way. I feel like God's called me to kind of start a ministry or do this thing. How do I actually get there? And I think to your point, Aubrey, that is the biggest thing that I've seen as a difference maker in the DNA of nothing is wasted as a ministry. And what I would encourage other people to do is just find other people, other voices who are passionate about the same thing, lock arms with them, 
because we can accomplish yeah. way more for the kingdom together than we ever could by ourselves. And, you know, we were just in a conversation today in a meeting where we're talking about who are the other voices that are, that are in this space that we've gotten connected mm. with, that we can kind of bring into this sphere and do this thing together. And, um, and I just, th I think that's so imperative, especially in, it flies in the face of our culture that says independence, you know, yes. do this thing yourself, build your own platform. Yes. Let's do this thing together. That's what I was just thinking. It's so much more kingdom minded to say, let's do this thing together because ultimately we're, we're talking about changing lives for eternity, right. right? It's not about building our platform. It's about building the name of Jesus. Right. So if we can partner together, empower one another and like go on mission together, man, what a beautiful story man. God would write through all of us. Right. That's right. Well, we're passionate about helping you do that. And we would love to, our mission here is to help you partner with God to take back your story. We've got lots of different resources online at nothingiswasted.com where uh, we want to help you walk this pain to purpose journey. So you can go to nothingiswasted.com. You can check those things out, including the pain to purpose course. You can hire a certified guide. You can join our community platform. And I want to note again, Aubrey, your new book, it's released. It's out. I know. It's I out can't there. believe it's amazing. My it is gosh. out in the world. That like has to be an unbelievable feeling to just send this and also an unnerving feeling as an author to send this vulnerable thing, this creation right. out into the world. Here's my heart. I'm just going to put it on a plate for you. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you this. I can tell all the listeners this. I got a chance to read it, an early copy, and it is unbelievable. One of the, and I don't just say this, okay? This is not me being like three overselling the thing, right? One of the best books I've ever read. Honestly, stop it, Dave. No, I'm dead. I'm, I'm honest about this because it, 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 maybe it was just in the season I was in that I needed to hear what mm. you had to say, but it's so, it's mm. so vulnerable. It's so, um, uh, it's so passionate. It's so brilliant the way that you construct all of this stuff and point us to these places where these labels in, in scripture, you know, and in, in characters in scripture, these labels have been placed on them and, and how we can see ourselves in their stories. And then how we recognize the labels in our own life that we've placed over our society's placed over us and how we do we, how do we truly become known and know our creator? And I just, man, it's just going to set so many people free. I'm so proud of you and I'm excited oh, for thanks, all baby. of these. Like, you need to go pick up a copy of this. Nothing is wasted.com slash known. I don't even know how to follow that, but thank you for that, Davey. <laughs> That's such an encouraging word hearing from you. I really appreciate that. Well, I want to thank, and we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can find his music wherever it is you find your music. We'd also love to invite you to follow us on Instagram at Nothing is Wasted Ministries, at Davey Blackburn, and at Obsamp. And the next week, we are joined by a fabulous guest, Angie Smith. She's the best-selling author of some Bible studies, some books. She is actually an incredible woman all around. So I'm so excited for you listeners to take a little peek at Davy's conversation with Angie Smith. I was pregnant with um, a daughter named Audrey. That's five girls if we're keeping track. Wow. <laughs> so many Your poor so husband. Many <laughs> <laughs> I know, seriously. Wow. So, you know, she um, would have been my fourth daughter, and we found out about halfway through our pregnancy that she could not survive outside of my body um, and made the decision to carry her as long as I could. And um, she lived for about two and a half hours. And so she's always been 
a part of everything I do because that that is how it started. I just yeah. was writing a blog. That was kind of back in the day. It was just like on the cusp of blogs. I didn't really even, it wasn't really even a thing. Um, and really it was a place for me to just kind of journal what I was going through and what the Lord was doing. And I, I think there's such a need that yeah. people have to see, to walk through hard times with other people that I think there was just a connection of this community that kind of formed. Um, and so that that was sort of what what started everything. 